This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Piarosa is continuing his preaching to the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're in chapter 13. This chapter of Matthew contains several parables, all stacked together to communicate important truths about the kingdom of heaven. We've already looked at the parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds. Today, we'll cover two more parables, which are parallel in their meaning and explanation. When the days are dark and the cultural war seems to be lost, it's easy to despair and wonder if the church will survive. It may seem the borders of our influence, our headcounts, and our new converts are all in decline. And in some locations, that is surely accurate. But in today's passage, we'll learn that God's kingdom, His church, has an unstoppable destiny, and its expansion is inevitable. It should help us be patient and faithful, even as we wait for our Lord's return and the coming of His millennial kingdom. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. Matthew says, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it's fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So I hope you caught that, that those two parables, the small parables, one of them is only one verse long, mean the exact same thing. And let's understand the two parallel features then of the kingdom of heaven in mystery form. So in God's redemptive plan, what we see here, according to the first parable, is a regional inauguration followed by universal influence. That is what Jesus is teaching here in the first parable. Regional inauguration followed by universal influence, verses 31 through 32. Now, in the first of the parallel parables, he retains the agricultural motif or agricultural theme. And just like he did in the previous two, Jesus pictures a sower sowing seeds in the field. I mean, we're familiar with that by now, right? He maintains that pattern. And based on what he says in verse 13, the crowds may not have understood what he means. In fact, he says that to some people, God decided to conceal the interpretation of the parables, but to you, it has been granted to know these mysteries, he said. So we know that some people did not understand, even though these were simple, fictitious, but not fantasy, short stories that communicate huge truths. They may not have understood this, and the disciples may not have grasped the lesson immediately, even though this is beautiful text. This is artistic language because Jesus is the author of creativity and beauty. But let's get the inerrancy question out of the way. Okay, Bible critics often take issue with this parable because they say, well, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed there is. Well, let me offer two responses to that. First of all, Christ is truth. Jesus is the truth. So there's no lie that can be uttered from his lips. 
what he was doing here is he's referring to the mustard seed being the smallest herb or garden plant used at that time in Israel. That is what he means. In other words, he was proposing this parable within the framework of their understanding. The mustard seed was the smallest seed used in Israel at that time. Secondly, he speaks proverbially. Don't forget that. These are parables. He's speaking proverbially, using a figure of speech common at the time to communicate insignificant smallness. Listen to Matthew 17 verse 20. He says it again. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. That's what he's doing. Now, we do this all the time and we don't need a degree in botany to figure this out. We use similar communication techniques subconsciously. Let me give you a few examples. Have you ever been so hungry you could eat a horse? Have you ever met someone so rich he has tons of money? Or have you ever met someone as tall as a house? Here's the irony bonus here. We say these expressions all the time. So, now that we got that out of the way, we verified that Jesus would never say anything inaccurate and that the Bible does not contain errors. I want you to see that the Old Testament prophesied about the regional inauguration of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to Micah 5 verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me, one to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And Matthew quotes that passage in the beginning of the gospel here. The Old Testament prophesied, therefore, the smallness, the original beginnings of the kingdom here. But the Old Testament also prophesied the universal influence of the kingdom. Listen to Ezekiel 38, verse 23. I will magnify myself, God says, sanctify myself and make myself known in the sight of many nations. And they will know that I am the Lord. You see, a small beginning, regional start with now worldwide influence. All the nations, God says. And then if you go to the book of Revelation, you will see the fulfillment of that, which is going to happen in the future when we hear the heavenly choir sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So church, this is talking about a worldwide, a universal reach, a universal influence. Heaven will contain representatives of every ethnic group that ever existed. Imagine that Mayans will be in heaven. People groups that no longer exist will be in heaven. Only because the Son of God emptied himself into the insignificance of humanity and was planted in the womb of a virgin in that little town in Bethlehem. Now look at verse 32, and I want you to see the, don't, don't miss the beauty of this imagery here. The natural growth of a mustard seed produced a shrub as tall as 30 feet at times. But in this parable here, this proverbial tree grew to become the tallest in all of the fictitious garden here and became large enough to provide security, shelter, and sustenance for birds. Okay, don't get confused with the birds here because we see them in the first parable swooping down and snatching the seed, different types of birds. Okay, they represent something else here. In fact, they're not even the main character of this parable here. The tree is the main character of this parable here. And Jesus is talking about the fact that the birds come and take shelter, sustenance, and security in the tree. Speaking about one of the features of the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me show you another metaphorical tree in the Bible that speaks of universal influence. 
Daniel revealed the meaning of a strange vision that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had. He explains in Daniel 4 verses 20 to 22 to the king. He says this, The tree that you saw which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king! For you became great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. Now Daniel is speaking to the king of Babylon, referring to the fact that his nation became a superpower. And as a result of that, other nations benefited from the dominance of ancient Babylon. We are very familiar with that. The the image of a tree symbolizing the fact that other nations find sustenance, shelter, and security because of the superpower characteristic of that nation. Now, any comparison now with the mustard seed must stop here because God chopped down that tree, the Babylonian tree, and raised up other nations in place of that one to become superpowers. Although not pictured in the Bible as a tree, the Medo-Persians became superpowers right after Babylon. Greece became a world superpower functioning as a tree after that, and Rome became a superpower after that and provided security, shelter, and sustenance for every other nation, at least in their dominion there. But here's a most recent example. A group of 102 pilgrims and 30 crew members boarded the Mayflower in 1620 to reach what would become the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, America's superpower and universal influence today resembles a tall tree that provides security, shelter, and sustenance to many. Now, we don't know how long that's going to last. It really doesn't matter. Why? Because the real mustard tree is the kingdom of heaven as pictured by Jesus Christ. Superpowers come and go. Nations come and go. But the kingdom of heaven will remain and will continue to grow and balloon really into influence. How do we know that? Because God promised David that the kingdom of his descendant will never end. He says this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. For Samuel 7, 13. Think about this. Jesus Christ will have the government forever. And he will reign from the earth here while nations come and go. Superpowers rise and fall. The angel also announced to Mary that her son would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Luke 1, verse 33. Again, church, what does that mean for us? It means that you and I, as born-again believers in Christ, and therefore members of the kingdom of heaven, belong to the only eternal institution that exists. The company you started has a shelf life. Your fishing club will dismantle one day. Nations, parliaments, and congresses will cease to exist eventually, but not the kingdom of heaven. Jesus advances his eternal kingdom through church saints, the people that he commissioned to proclaim the message. And in the future, right before his return here, when the church is no longer here, he will raise up tribulation saints to do the communicating of the message. And he he will even raise up some angels to communicate the message during that time. So church, in, in summer here, what started regionally, In a small province in the Roman Empire, ballooned and will continue to expand to influence the entire world. And not only do we witness that growth, we get to be a part of it. Which leads us to the second parable here, the parallel parable. The same mystery here that is revealed in the first one. So if we have in the first one regional inauguration followed by universal influence, now what we have is a local start followed by global scope. Verse 33. Now, interestingly here, Jesus, growing up, would have witnessed his mother doing that very thing that he is describing here, baking bread. 
exactly as he described in the parable of the leaven here. This was a very common practice at the time. Yeast serves as an agent of fermentation. That is what he's talking about here. And that is the key to understanding this concept here. The idea of growth. We saw the tree and now we're, we're looking at fermentation here. Yeast, an agent of growth. What this one verse parable teaches is the same concept of the mustard tree. That the kingdom of heaven has an unstoppable expansion and will continue to grow. But because of the permeation character of yeast, this one seems to focus on transformational growth. And that is the only different element from the previous parable. Okay? Because... Yeast functions as a fermentation agent. We can think about this one as transformational growth. Both at the micro level, in terms of individual believers, and at the macro level, in terms of collectively the kingdom of heaven. What do I mean by that? Well, if we're talking about the micro level, we're talking about personal transformation. Because we are members of the kingdom of heaven. We are subjects of the kingdom of heaven. We know that Jesus lives in the heart of every believer, right? Isn't that what Colossians 1 says? Colossians 1.27 talks about that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. In other words, Jesus lives in the heart of every believer and he permeates every aspect of our life. Your body, your will, your emotions, your goals, your intellect, and so forth. That is what's supposed to be happening in your life. If you're a member of the kingdom of heaven, you are part of something that is continually growing. Your life should be transforming. Why? Because the Bible says he began a good work in you. So at the micro level of the kingdom of heaven, in the individual level of the kingdom of heaven, you should be growing in godliness, growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ. And that is what we can think of as the growth of the kingdom here. That is why Paul tells the believers in Rome, do not be conformed to this world. Because you don't fit the mold of the world anymore. Do not be conformed to this world. You don't do the things that the world does. That's what you used to do. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, since you've been born again, you need to relearn how to live. Some people get born again at an early age. Other people get born again later in life. They need to relearn how to live. They need to relearn how to respond to crisis, for example. They need to relearn how to respond to conflict. How to deal with forgiveness, for example. How to deal with opposition or rejection or oppression from the world. Why? Because you're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But Because we're constantly being changed. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's the micro level of transformation here. And sometimes we resist that sanctification process. Why, church? Because we love our sin. We love our pet sins. And it's hard to give them up. But our rebellion does nothing to affect the growth of the kingdom. What it does is it makes our life miserable. The believer who is resisting God's transformation is a miserable person. Why? Because their conscience is killing them. They know that they're supposed to give up those sins. They are not able to do it, of course, on their own. They need God's help for that. So there's a struggle. Paul had the same struggle. He says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, miserable man that I am. And I'm paraphrasing this and says, who will set me free from this body of death? We don't fit the mold of the world anymore. We don't think, feel, or behave like non-members of God's kingdom. We need to welcome and be receptive to God's transformation power in our lives. Understanding that if we resist that process, nothing will change in God's macro level of the kingdom. Now look at verse 33. Jesus wants his listeners to understand the progressive transformation at the macro level of the kingdom. It's, it's, it's not a sudden thing. It will happen one day when Jesus Christ will come from heaven and touch down 
again and establish his millennium. But that is not the mystery form of the kingdom. That's the millennial form of the kingdom. We're talking about the time between the rejection of Christ and the return of Christ. Or if you want to say it like theologians, you can say the inter-advent period. The time between the first and the second coming of Christ. He wants his listeners to understand that. And why church? Again, because the disciples probably felt, okay, I think we're part of a failing enterprise here. Because this guy is not establishing the kingdom like we thought he would. And Jesus is comforting them and encouraging them to say, well, you just wait. You do what you're supposed to do because this thing is going to cover the entire globe. It started small. It started with rejection. You will be persecuted. But this thing is going to reach the entire globe. Now, again... After John the Baptist, the forerunner, announced Christ, he began his ministry locally. But I want you to know, church, he never crossed the borders of Israel. You see, Jesus' ministry remained locally there. He never crossed the borders of Israel. Because the nation rejected Christ, he then postponed the establishment of his millennial kingdom. We need to understand that. Paul clarifies that in Romans 9, 10, and 11, that Christ postponed the establishment of the kingdom to allow people from every other nation admittance into heaven by his grace through faith so that we can read again in the book of Revelation that that heavenly choir saying that worthy are you because you've purchased people from every tribe and tongue and nation because we see here the world influence of the kingdom. But let me show you the leavening of the kingdom here. From Scripture, after the ascension of Christ, remember Jesus Christ started his ministry locally here, followed by a global scope here. After the ascension, his apostles took over gospel proclamation according to the Great Commission. And Jesus told them, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You see, in Matthew 10, Jesus told the disciples turned into apostles. You stay within the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles just yet. And then at the end of the gospel, he says, you go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So he's commissioning them to balloon the kingdom of heaven by going to all the nations. And they had Jesus' promise of transformational growth when he told them in John 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So what is Jesus talking about here? Obviously, he's not talking about anybody being able to do something greater than redemption. Nobody can do that. He's talking about the expansion of the kingdom. He says, if you believe in Christ, you will go to all the nations in obedience to him, and he will provide the growth to the kingdom. Now, Luke describes some of these greater works in the book of Acts. According to Acts 1 verse 15, for example, God used 120 people to ferment his kingdom. On the day of Pentecost, following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, devout Jews from every nation under heaven, he says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, he says, all of these folks heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language, in their own tongue. Now, what was there to talk about? Now, Jesus had just been crucified and risen from the dead. They were talking about that, that the Messiah was here. He rose from the dead and he's going to establish his kingdom soon. We don't know when, because he just told the disciples, it's not for you to know the times, but you be my witnesses. So that's what they were talking about. And they said, well, we have this message that we need to carry all over the world. And after Peter's sermon, God added 3,000 people to the newly inaugurated church. Imagine that. Acts 2 verse 41. 3,000 people added to the church roster in one day after one sermon. That's every pastor's dream. Well, remember, this was a heart-piercing sermon that Peter 
preached. Arguably, the best sermon ever preached in the church age, second only to the sermons of Christ. But these new believers would disseminate the kingdom. It started with 120 people. And the day of Pentecost, all of these nations came to celebrate that feast. And they heard the mighty deeds of God. And many of them became believers. 3,000 of them were added to the church. Now these new believers would disseminate the kingdom as leavening agents by sharing the good news with relatives. From that time, for example, the gospel made its way to Africa. You can read that in the Bible. Acts 8 through Philip. And to Europe through Paul. Acts 16. And through Asia, through Thomas, according to the history books. So we see that very clearly. We can trace that growth through history and right back to the book of Acts. And since then, church saints have perpetuated the process, spreading the kingdom of heaven to every continent. There are even chaplains in Antarctica. Did you know that? Now, because of the rapid secularization of Western culture, you may think that Christianity has its days numbered. Maybe like the disciples, you may be discouraged thinking, I don't think this is going to last very long. I think I'm the last generation. You may be thinking of that. Well, perhaps this is the last generation of nominal believers, the popular version of Christianity perhaps, but not true Christianity because Jesus already promised, I will build my church. And when he promises to build his church, I don't have to worry about building the church. It's not my job to build the church and neither is yours. Philip Yancey, you may have heard that name. He says this, quote, As I travel, I have observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God's moving geographically from the Middle East to Europe to North America to the developing world. My theory is this, God goes where he is wanted, close quote. You may agree or disagree with this last sentence here from Yancey, but don't ignore the obvious, church. What started small 2,020 years ago has turned into a global movement that will continue to expand despite opposition, despite the secularization of centers of Christianity. God will simply move the focus of permeation around the continents like He's been doing for 2,000 years. The leavening will reach a climax at the millennial kingdom when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords returns to the earth in full display of divinity and glory and majesty. So church, we have nothing to fear. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen to Christianity. Well, will governments start persecuting Christians now? If, if they do, we have nothing to fear. I'm going to continue to preach the gospel no matter what. Take me to jail or not. You can kill me. And what happens is God's going to raise somebody else. By the way, persecutors of the church haven't learned their lesson. Every time you persecute the church, the thing grows. If you're trying to undo Christianity, don't persecute the church. Just entice it with riches or, or water down the gospel. That's a better strategy than persecuting. And, and by the way, that strategy has been very effective lately. Water down the message. So God has placed you in a post-Christian society. I want you to know that. The days of popular Christianity are over. The days of being the majority of society are over, church. And that is the best place to be because God has designed our faith to be moved from the fringes of society and doing our best work there. By His providence and for the purpose of advancing His kingdom, you are here. Which moves from regional inauguration to universal influence like we saw today and also from a local start to global scope. Let's conclude this how Matthew concludes in verses 34 to 35. Matthew inserts an appendix explaining again the rationale for the methodology. He quotes Psalm 78 verse 2 to inform his readers that the technique that Jesus uses fulfilled the Old Testament. And we've already learned the fact that 
God wants to conceal truth from people whose hearts are already predisposed to reject him. But to people who are eager to hear the truth, he reveals mysteries. And you and I are here understanding these mysteries because God wants you to know these mysteries of the kingdom. These features that are so truth, so precious to us. So the Christian movement had humble beginnings. Today it suffers abuse, persecution, neglect, and oppression. But it will take the world literally Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word and the comfort that we take knowing that the kingdom of heaven has not stopped and will not stop. The godless culture that we live in will not halt the advancement of the kingdom, Lord. And we take great comfort in that and knowing that we belong to an institution that will last forever. And we are in the winning team, Lord. What a, what a great thought and what a great and precious truth, Lord. Help us be encouraged by that today and this week, Lord, as we go about our day-to-day lives here in the world and the culture that you have allowed us to be a part of, Lord. And give us ideas and opportunities to ferment the world with the gospel, to be agents of transformation, Lord. Obviously, by living godly lives and being Christ-like, but never forgetting to preach the gospel and communicate the truth of God's word, Lord. Give us more opportunities, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. We continue to add new books to our library, so be sure to check those out as well. Pastor's book on the book of Revelation is a particular favorite as it covers one of the most complex books in the Bible. You'll discover that the end times are relevant to us now and that John's prophetic visions are understandable if you apply good biblical interpretation techniques, which Pastor will demonstrate. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.